Good morning, Impact City. It is good to be here today. I'm going to invite you to take your seat as we jump into the Word. Are we ready for the Word this morning? Amen. I hope, I hope we are. We're, as we continue, uh, we're on the, on the final uh, few messages before we hit our Freedom Conference. Um, Isaiah chapter 38, verses 18 through 19 uh, you can go to the YouVersion app, you can go uh, to your Bible, or you can glance at the screen, Isaiah 38, 18 through 19. It is my privilege, it is my sincere privilege to welcome you, and I'm so excited that you made time to worship with us today, and we know that if you came with expectation, you are in the right place because Jesus is, is here, and um, he can do whatever you need him to do in the way that only he can do it. And we're going to trust him and we're going to believe him for that today. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 38, 18 through 19, or 18 and 19. For the dead cannot praise you. They cannot raise their voices in praise. Those who go down to the grave can no longer hope in your faithfulness. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. Isn't that awesome? Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. Let's jump right in. By this time in our series, hopefully you know this one thing that is for certain that God's love for you is real. God's love for you is incredible and God's love for you is so vast. And when we truly embrace the love of that he has for us, we begin to trust him like never before. We begin to look at him like never before. And our relationship just naturally begins to grow and we develop a great love for him. We love him because he first, that's what the Bible says, he first loved us. Love for God allows our religious requirements that many would go through life just having. It allows our religious requirements to become relational joys that we just enjoy spending time with God, that we enjoy the life that we live because God is in the midst of it. What we once saw as a duty and what we once saw as just as a routine perhaps now becomes the devotion of which we live for. It is our delight, truly, to know him. Amen. It is our delight to know him and to follow his commandments. I, I love what the Apostle Paul said. He said, oh, that I may know him. Here you have a guy who has written half of the New Testament, has the education of uh, uh, the equivalency in our society today of two doctorate degrees, but yet at the end of his life, it, it wasn't his credentials, it wasn't nothing that he had accomplished. He says, oh, that I may know him. Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. It is a delight and an overflow, the truth is, of your relationship with God is worship. A true overflow, a natural byproduct of your relationship with the Creator is worship. Worship is more than singing songs. Amen. Worship is more than singing songs. It's more than lifting our hands. All that is important. It's commanded in the Bible. But worship is a lifestyle. 
It is a lifestyle. And worship can be expressed through acts of service. It can be expressed through words of praise, through giving, through singing, through dancing, through shouting. Living this way honors our Savior, and it produces in us naturally purity. It produces confidence. It produces faith. It produces strength in us. And then as a result of that, we become, we are propelled, we're launched into becoming warriors in the, God, in the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you why. Worship is actually an act of warfare as well. It is an act of warfare against Satan and the demonic forces that, that try to come against us. Our worship puts the devil on the run and it increases our ability to fight against the powers of darkness in the heavenly realms. Psalms 149.6 says this, let the praises of God, amen, be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. When we give God all our attention, we begin to strip the enemy of any power that he has over us, anything that he is trying to, to scheme against us and to come against us with. When we begin to worship and lift up the name of Jesus, we strip him of all the power that he has because we begin to get into and we enter into the safety that is the presence of God. And in his presence, we are protected from every scheme of the enemy. We become like Jesus who said, the ruler of this world has nothing in me. We're able to come boldly into the presence of God because of the blood atonement of Jesus. What Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness for our sins, we cannot enter into the presence of God but Jesus. The blood of Jesus has removed every spot and every stain from our lives and has made a way for us to approach God's throne with grace and with confidence. I'm grateful for the blood. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God said, you will surely die. It was not maybe it was you will surely die. He was referring not to a physical death, but he was referring to a spiritual death. And because they went on to live very long lives, they were banished from the garden. We know the story. Remember, sin does have consequences. But even though God departed from man's spirit when man sinned, he did not abandon his creation. I'm glad that he doesn't give up on us. Aren't you glad that he doesn't give up on us? Yes, we're hard-headed. Yes, we're stubborn, but I'm grateful for a God who chases us with a relentless love. I'm glad for a God who chases us with a crazy love. I'm glad for a God who doesn't give up on us when we've given up on ourselves, when others have given up on us, when others count us out. God says, you're a perfect candidate for me to turn your life around. I'm grateful that he didn't abandon me when he could have. He didn't abandon Adam and Eve, and in response to Adam and Eve's loss of innocence that takes place in the garden, their awareness of their nakedness, he covered them with garments that were from animal skins. This was the first blood sacrifice that ever took place. And throughout the Old Testament, it is a repetition of what we see that there is animals that are sacrificed. And it is the blood of these animals that, that the people are able to obtain forgiveness. God considered these blood sacrifices in the Old Testament an act of worship. The blood of the animals, check this 
out would be poured on the horns of the altar that sat at the entrance of the tabernacle or the sanctuary. The offering was then taken into the Holy of Holies, a sacred, a sacred place that contained the Ark of the Covenant. It housed the tablets of the, the, the Ten Commandments of God's law that was written in them. The blood would be put on then on the mercy seat. I'm grateful for mercy today. It was placed on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the ark. And when the sacrifice was then appropriate and right, the presence of God would fall in the holy of holies. There was a thick veil then that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. There was a separation that not just anybody could get in. It was called also the most holy place. And this was the place where the presence of God dwelled. And it was so palpable. The veil represented the unapproachability of man to be able to get to this God who is perfect and infinite of God. And no one could go in but this man that we know as the high priest. But, but I'm grateful for the New Testament that when Jesus stands, when he is on the cross and he is hung high and stretched wide, when, when he gave up his spirit on the cross, the Bible tells us that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Notice that it was not torn from the bottom up. No, it was torn from top to bottom. God tore the veil from above because he was moving out of that place. A few weeks later, oh, bless his holy name, a few weeks later at the Feast of Pentecost that we see in the book of Acts, God moved into the heart of the believers. And this is what Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them this incredible experience that the Bible describes with the presence of God in Acts chapter 2 was made acceptable because of the blood sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. Thank God for this new way and thank God for this better way for us to experience him. And then the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, with his own blood, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and not the blood of calves. No, Jesus entered the most holy place once. That's all it took, once for all time and secured our redemption forever. This redemption that is described here includes eternal life with God. It includes healing for our souls and for our minds and for our spirits. It includes healing for our bodies and deliverance from all the powers of the enemy. The blood of Jesus has overcome Satan. As believers, amen. As believers, we are fighting from victory. We don't fight for victory, no. We are fighting from victory. It is already won because of Jesus. The veil has already been torn. The victory has already been won. Satan has already been defeated. And there is nothing that can separate us from God's presence. Now you and I, every single one of us in this place today, can have an intimate relationship with him. Because he has declared 
and express his love for us. So all that we need to do at this point is receive that love and learn to love him in return. Learn to love him in return. God desperately longs to connect with our hearts. In Matthew 15, 7 and 9, Jesus says this, says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Genuine worship comes from a heart that is consistently connected with God. And that connection happens in two ways. It happens corporately. That's why it's important for us to come together here today in church gatherings with fellow believers. We, got, we have to come together with like-minded people that, that can connect with us and that can, that can be there for us. And that when we can worship corporately together to know that, his, that, he, that he abides in the midst of the praises of his people, we understand that. But it also can happen personally, anytime, anywhere. Corporate worship coming together is important because our faith increases when we join together with like-minded believers. But even if we come to church, it's important for us to note, even if we come to church distracted, burdened, frustrated, tired, worried, anxious, if we come, our attitudes, have you ever noticed that? Our attitudes can quickly change in a worshipful environment. It can change in a worshipful environment. Personal worship occurs when we take initiative, when you take initiative, intentionally adjust our attitudes, and we cultivate, we begin to cultivate an atmosphere of praise. Wherever we are, any time of the day, we can have an attitude of a worshiper and enjoy the presence of God. It is possible. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 49 for just a second. Through, through this, uh, we desire, though we desire to have a relationship with God, one like we have seen others that, that, that they describe. But sometimes for us, let's just be honest, sometimes we say, I, I can't have what he has. I can't have what she has. And it seems so unaccessible. We've tried to pray, but it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. We try, we try to make progress, but it seems like we can't go any further. The question would be, do we trust God enough? Because he wants to trust us as much as he wants our heart. He wants us to trust him, should I say, as much as he wants our heart. Do you trust him that much? Because without your trust, your heart will never be completely his. It will never be completely his. We often say, you're my Lord, but oftentimes we say, but with limitations. We got to read the fine, you have to read the fine print. We often say, you're my Lord, but when times get tough, we reach for the steering wheel and want to take control. Many Christians in today's world get distracted by striving to find the happiest, most pleasurable, and most personally preferable way to live. But in order for us to discover God's will for our life, we have to surrender all control to him. It starts when we say, my life is not my own. 
that I have been bought with a high price and I am your servant by choice. With that kind of attitude, we begin to live a far more fulfilling life than we could ever imagine or obtain on, your, on our own. D- did you catch that this morning? That if you are frustrated and if you feel like you're not making progress in your life, in your spirit, in your mind, and in your heart, let's surrender control to God and watch what he does in our lives. Ezekiel, I'm sorry, it was 47, tells us of a vision that this prophet had. And in this vision, there is a river. And the river symbolizes the presence of God. And I'm going to break this down. As we venture forward in our relationship with God, we have a tendency to want to keep our toes on the ground because that allows us to still have some control. It is, it is in, in just in the shallow parts where, where many of us may find ourselves this morning, and God is calling us to deeper waters. So here we see this. When, when we're able to have our toes on the ground, it, it ensures that our heads still can stay above water. And we are in control of our lives, but God is inviting us today to trust him, to go deeper in him, to experience the fullness of his, pre- of his presence. As, and as we surrender this control to God, we will be swept away by his love and freely, freely enjoy our freedom and our journey with him. Because we understand this, we understand that he is worthy of our trust. He's not just worthy of our praise. He's also worthy of our trust. So there's four levels. There's ankle deep. It is where we enjoy refreshing in God's presence, but we're still in full command. We can splash. We can even play. But then we can choose to walk out of the river with no long-lasting effect of what is taking place in our lives. But then there's knee deep. So you have ankle deep, but you have knee deep. The current of God, his presence can be felt in our lives, but we still maintain control because in knee deep water, we have a good view of those who have ventured out into deep, the deepest waters. And we see that in his presence that there is truly fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. But we still find the security of the riverbank. I'm just far enough where I, if I want to, if I feel, like things are not going my way, I can just come right back out. I can just right, come right back out. So there's ankle deep, there's knee deep, but then there's waist deep is what we see in Ezekiel 47. So here the stream of the presence of God is strong in our lives. We've walked into deeper water and we're in treading into territory that we have never been in before, but we fight the current and we struggle to keep control with, with the bottom. And, and one of the, what the issue with this is that often the fear of what others think or the fear of losing control will always revert us back to get to the riverbank. The fear of just not having full control of my life is going to lead me to say, God, you know what? I, I don't know if I really want to do this. But it is at this place, it is a crossroads that we begin to make a crucial decision that who will be in control, God or you? 
Who's going to be in control? God or you? And then you have the middle of the river. This is where we begin to experience. We begin to experience the fullness of God's presence. We stop fighting for control and we say, God, it's in your hands. God, I trust you. God, I trust you with my husband. I trust you with my wife. I trust you with my son. I trust you with my daughter. I trust you with my finances. I trust you in my career. I trust you in my job. God, I just trust you. You can work it out better than I could ever work it out on my own. It doesn't matter if I have more degrees than a thermometer. That, that makes no difference. The one who makes the difference is God. The one who, it doesn't matter how much experience I have. No, it is you, God, the one that it works it all together for good for them that love you. We stop fighting for this control and then we just pick up our feet and begin to float in his presence and we allow his current to carry us where he wants and we trust him. But, but the truth is that most people want to experience God at ankle deep. Just, just don't, don't go too long, preacher. Just, just keep me here just a little while. Make me feel good and then let me go back to my house and, 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 and watch some football. Whatever, the, whatever it may be. But, but then you have some that will say knee deep. You know what? I, I'll do just a little bit more. I, I'll worship you on, on a serve team or I'll do this or that. Uh, but, 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 I still want to get back to the riverbank because I still want to have some control over my life because God, I've been doing this, you know, for quite a while and I know what I want, but, but from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. But then there's people that will do waist deep. And, and yes, it, it's comfortable. It's comfortable. I get to experience more of God. I get to experience more of God, but just to, to reserve enough control. But, but those that truly are changed and those that truly live free and those that truly have peace in their hearts and, and love in their minds, those who have those attributes that come from God are the ones that have surrendered everything to God and say, God, I, I'm just, I'm in your hands. Use me. I'm a vessel for you. I'm a vessel for you. Because the truth is that some think that, God, if I trust you, there may be areas of my life that I'll be embarrassed in. Or that you'll send me so far away that I won't know what to do. But the, the truth is that God only has good things for his kids. Yes. He only has good things for his kids. You will never come to a place of true worship until you're honestly able to say, God, have your way. And then watch what happens in the story. God led Ezekiel back to the riverbank. And suddenly, to his surprise, there were many trees growing. So this is a barren place. All of a sudden, there's many trees growing on both sides of the river. And the river was now springing up with life. And Ezekiel 47.9 says this, everything will live. Everything will live where the river goes. What is the river? His presence. Everything will live where his, the river goes. The leaves of the tree will not wither, the fruit will not fall, and they will bear fruit every month. It doesn't matter how cold it gets in our lives. It doesn't matter in the darkest moments of our lives. They will bear fruit every month because of the living waters. It is not by might. It is not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. The trees represent healing and the fish represent harvest. Wonderful things happen when we abandon ourselves and we surrender ourselves 
ourselves and we let God have control in his presence. Wonderful things will happen through our lives. Souls will be saved and peoples will be, people will be healed and we will experience what life is truly meant to be when we say, you are Lord. So let's look at it just a few ways to be a worshiper. True worshiper. Number one, you have to give God your affection. You have to give God your affection. First Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Another translation says that he seeks to pour out his favor on those who are truly committed, fully committed to him. God wants to be in a covenant with you and I that is devoted, it's unbreakable, it's a relationship that involves much more than singing songs, but he wants you to desire and to enjoy his presence. Worship him out of the overflow of your heart because he is worthy of the best you and I can offer him. He is worthy of the best you and I can offer him. David wrote this in Psalms 84, verses 1 through 12. He says he is craving God. He is craving his presence. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place. Lord of, oh Lord of heaven's armies, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. Cuán amables son tus moradas, oh Jehová de los ejércitos. Anela mi alma y un ardientemente desea los atrios de Jehová. I long for you. I long for your presence. I long. I need you more than my next breath. I need you to guide my steps. I'll, I'll fail and I'll get into trouble on my own, but if you are in control, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way and even though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down because the Lord will lift him up. I'm grateful for a word. I'm grateful for a word. But I have to desire him. I have to give him my affection. Number two, I have to commit to unconditional worship. That's the key word, unconditional. It's not about how I feel. It is about who he is. It is not about being happy. Happy comes from the word of what happens. It, it depends if something good happens, I'll, I'll be happy. But no, it comes from a place of joy, that I have the joy of the Lord down on the inside of me, that I have an unconditional worship, that I will bless the Lord at all times, that his praise shall always be in my mouth, that true worship means praising God even when I don't feel like it. It means coming to the house of the Lord even when I don't have the strength sometimes because I'm committed to worshiping him corporately. I'm committed to worshiping him individually. It is common for us to take a conditional approach to God. God, if you do this for me, I'll be able to praise you. God, if you make a way, I'll praise you. But even if you don't make a way, somebody needs to say, I'm still going to praise you. But we take a conditional approach. Can I, can I talk to you? you for just a little while, just as we do with sports teams. And as long as our team is winning, 
and making great plays. We are excited and engaged in the game, but we lose interest and leave early. Yes, when things don't go the way we hoped for them to go. In the same way, we praise God when our lives are going well, but we disengage when difficult things begin to happen. We say, God, why would I come to church if, if all this is coming against me? Can I tell you that that is when we need him the most? Can I tell you that that is when we need him, the, that he is close to the crushed in spirit and he is near, oh, to the brokenhearted? The truth is that we worship him in good times and in bad times. When we tangibly feel his presence, and when even when I don't feel his presence, he is still worthy. He is still worthy. And, and can I just say a little while that, that if, I, if I'm going to cheer for anybody, and if I'm going to get excited at a football game, I can get excited for the one who woke me up this morning. If if somebody is worth uh, hollering at, it is uh, the God that I serve that it says to shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Uh, even though I may cheer for a good team or a bad team, they've always uh, experienced some loss. But the God that we serve uh, is undefeated. The God that we serve uh, has never lost a battle. The God that I serve uh, is with me in the good times and he's with me in the bad times. He's with me when I'm anxious. He's with me when I'm frustrated. He's with me when I'm lonely. He's with me when I'm tired. He is the God of everything. He is Lord of the mountains, but he's also God in the valleys also. He's also God when I'm in tears. He's also God when I'm sad and I'm sick. He's God when I don't have any money. He's God. Come on, let's give God a praise in this place. I gotta have an unconditional worship. I gotta have an unconditional worship. It will change our lives. It will change the trajectory of the lives that we live in when we can worship him at every moment, at every turn, at every step, that we can know that he is God and he's good. He is good. Number three, include, we have to include God in our daily life. Include God in our daily life. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine. Jesus is saying this, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I have to come to terms with that. I'm not that smart. I need him. I can't figure it out. I need him. It doesn't matter what experience I've had. It doesn't matter if I've faced a situation like this before and I was able to work it. I need him right now. I need him right now. I have to include him. I can't do nothing without him. We struggle sometimes in our relationship with him because our Sundays do not look like our Mondays. Our Sundays do not look like our Mondays. When our everyday world is different than our 
quote-unquote church world, we begin to compartmentalize our lives and say, God, I want you involved on Sunday, but let me handle Monday through Saturday. I'll give you all of Sunday, but let me take Monday through Saturday. We compartmentalize our lives. And can I tell you that we're only hurting ourselves? Are we, are we frustrated today because of decisions we have made? Are we, are we going through some stuff today because of decisions we have made on our own and not consulted God and, and not have true peace on the inside and have joy that, that while we smile on the outside, it's just a fake smile? Because I'm really hurting on the inside because I haven't just given myself to God and included him in everything and say, God, you know what? I'm going to be the best husband today because you're going to be with me. I'm going to be the best father today because you're with me. I'm going to be the best employee today because you're with me. I'm going to be the best at everything that I do because you are with me. It's not because of me. It's because of you. I can't do nothing without you. Our secular and our sacred worlds should look the same. Equally reflecting the commitment that we have made to worship the king. Often we don't know how to include God, though, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our jobs, in our vacations, in our hobbies. What would happen if we made God a part of every area of our lives? When we approach a new disciplinary challenge as a parent... Ask God what we should do. When we have difficulty with someone at work, we need to pray for wisdom and ask for God to open up a way and to heal the situation. That when we have an ailment in our bodies, to ask him to heal us and to trust him to do it. When, when my spirit is uneasy, to ask him to, to reign in my life. Because God wants access to every part of me and every part of you. He cares about what happens to you. Don't let, don't let anyone tell you. The, the Bible says that you could cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Including God in every area of our lives will allow us to surrender to him as we invite him to be a part of everything that we do. Number four, we have to be obedient. The first place we, where worship is mentioned in the Bible is a story that reveals the unconditional love for God. It is a story of Abraham and Isaac that we find in Genesis chapter 22 when God tells Abraham, give me your son, your one and only son. He said, I trust you, God, because you gave him to me when I thought it was impossible. He takes him, doesn't hesitate one bit. Him and the boy go up the mountain. And, and you can imagine Isaac saying, Dad, I see the knife. I see the wood, but I don't see the sacrifice. Abraham says, don't you worry, the Lord will provide. I feel, I feel that word for someone this morning, the Lord will provide. It looks like an impossible situation of what you're facing right now, but God will provide. 
raises up his knife. The angel stops him and says, no, I, I didn't want your son. Your son can't do anything uh, for humanity, but I just wanted to know if you love me and will you like, surrender everything to me. Therefore, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of, watch this, of praise to God proclaiming our allegiance to his name. The greatest sacrifice we can give to God is a heart of humility and one that is willing to serve him with unconditional obedience. This kind of worship is what moves the heart of God towards us because the Bible tells us this. Jesus said this in John 14, 21, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, who really loves me, and whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him, I will make myself real to him. I gotta be obedient. Number five, I gotta show reverence. The worship team will join me. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So the word fear here is used in the word respect. It's only approach, it's to approach him with awe and reverence. True worshipers require that we fear the Lord. True worship requires that we fear the Lord. John 4, 23 says, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. What does that mean? The Greek word for worship here in this verse is the word proskuneo, which literally means to kiss the master's hand in reverence. You remember like the Godfather. It indicates both love and respect. It indicates both love and respect that you will kiss the king's hand. That I respect you that much. That my life is going to show you both love and it's going to show you respect. And that in reality is a powerful combination that when we both fear him and that we love him, we rest in the shelter of his presence. The shelter of his presence. In spirit and in truth, Ecclesiastes 12 says this. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God. So here you have what is probably known as the most wise man in all of the Bible when he had an opportunity to ask God for whatever he could. He said, I want wisdom. I, I, don't, I don't need fame. I don't need popularity. I don't need riches. I, I need wisdom. He says, here's my final conclusion, fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty, because God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Why is this important? Because each day you and I have the opportunity to live for God and to live for him by aligning our lives with the truth of his word. We cannot separate our love for God from our 
submission to him, our willingness to surrender. God says he wants us to worship him not only in spirit, with enthusiasm, with gratitude, with affection, but also in truth. Worshiping in truth requires us to examine our lives and to get rid of the weight that the book of Hebrews says, the weight and the sin that so easily beseeches us or, or holds us back or, or weighs us down. That I could worship him from a place of purity in my life because he has purified us. That, that we need to get to a point where we say, God, purify me because I want to be able to worship you, not just in spirit, but I want to worship you in truth because you're looking for people who say, you know what, God, there's nothing, there's no bad habit and there's no secret sin in my life that is worth standing in the way of me having a true and genuine relationship with you. There is nothing that you are doing or that I am doing that is worth, whether it be something small that nobody knows about, that is really worth standing in the way of me having a life of worship and having a a life that aligns with God's word. We can't expect God to be pleased solely by our clapping, our shouting, our singing, our jumping. If we do not allow him to deal with the secret areas of our lives. And the areas that we have all fallen short of for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God I have to have a heart of humility you have to have a heart of humility that says search me O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path, the path of everlasting life. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is there in my life that I need to get rid of. Where do I need to go and get and, and take some things out that have reduced his presence in our lives and be willing to confront that area head on and say, bad habit, you're not gonna stay here. You're gonna leave in Jesus' name. Shame, you're gonna go in Jesus' name. Rejection, you're gonna go in Jesus. Whatever is standing, unforgiveness, I'm not gonna harbor it anymore. I'm gonna leave it in God's hand because as we go through this process, we have to know this, that the voice of the end, the Holy Spirit will come to convict us. The voice of the enemy will come to condemn us. If you are hearing the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, yes, you fell, but this is the path. This is the path to make things right. But if you hear the voice of the enemy, it probably sounds something like this. You fell. You'll never be able to get back up again. You're inadequate. You're not worth it. That is the voice of the enemy. And I cancel that right now in Jesus' name. I cancel it in Jesus' name. He didn't send his son to condemn us. No, the Bible says he sent his son to save us. There is a hope. There is hope and there is a way out. There is hope and there is a way out. The last thing I'm going to share with you today 
when we are totally focused on God, His goodness, His provision, His deliverance, His healing, His holiness. When we totally focus on Him, we are actually in a posture of warfare against the enemy. It is a lifestyle that we live against the enemy because worship has the power to tear down strongholds, to tear down thoughts and, and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Worship not only brings freedom in our own lives, but it also has the power to set others free. So you are not just the only one that is blessed because of it. And I'll share this portion of scripture when we find in Acts chapter 16. Late in the midnight hour, we find Paul and Silas in jail. They've been arrested and now are in the depths of this prison cell. It is not what you see on TV. It is full of all sorts of crazy things. Some historians say that there was water up into their knees in this prison, and, and it's not purified water. But here they are in this situation. Why is this important? Because some of us in this place may feel like we are inundated with stuff. We may feel bound, they're bound by their hands, they're chained, they're weary, they're surrounded by darkness, and they have every reason to be afraid. They have every reason to be resentful, they have every reason to be angry, they have every reason to say, you know what, if God really loved me, I wouldn't be here in this situation. If God really loved me, I wouldn't be lonely, I wouldn't be sick, I wouldn't be depressed. If God really loved me, I wouldn't be here. They could have taken out the excuse book, but, but the Bible says this around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. And they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were just listening, having no idea. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Two men said, you know what? I'm going to worship. In my darkest moment, I'm going to worship. In my loneliest moment, I'm going to worship. And because they made their mind up because they made their mind up about their God. Other people were set free on that day. Other people that didn't know God, their chains fell off also. Their doors were open also. I want to challenge you today that as we live a life of worship, God begins to work in our lives. And yes, my chains fall. And yes, my doors open. But also the chains of my neighbor. Also the chains of my husband. Also the chains of my wife. Also, the chains of my co-worker, they get to know God because I live a life of worship. They get to know God because I was able to praise him in my loneliness, in my depression. I was able to praise him 
I was able to praise him. If you find yourself today, if you find yourself today in a midnight hour, I invite you to worship him. I invite you to lift him up. I invite you to glorify him. As you stand with me, Salvation came to many that night. Salvation came to many that night because of their attitude and because of the life that they were able, the approach that they were able to say, God, I'm going to praise you. The jailer and his family were saved that night because of that. Us living this, this type of life is the most rewarding life. I don't know what you do Monday through Saturday. I know what I do, and I can tell you that everything in this world does not compare to loving God and serving people. There is nothing in this world. The jailer and his entire family knew God that night because of their ability to look past their circumstance and not focus on the problem, but focus on the problem solver. So this is my challenge this morning, that we, we put our focus, problems we have enough, but that we would put our focus on the one who can work it out. That when God is the focus of our love and our attention, we will see what he can do, and he can do anything but fail. He can do anything but fail. With every eye closed in this moment, before we enter a moment of worship, if you have not given your life to Jesus, I don't want to close this service out without giving you the opportunity to say, Jesus, I commit my life to you. Or maybe in this moment, someone in this place has walked away, has strayed away, and you want to recommit. Wherever you find yourself, only you know. But if you want to commit your life to Jesus for the very first time, we're going to pray this prayer, and we're going to pray it with you. I just want you to raise your hand right now and, and accept Jesus into your heart. It is by the blood of Jesus, by the finished work of the cross, that you're able to have salvation today today right now so everybody at the sound of my voice please pray with me dear Jesus thank you for dying for me for loving me when I was unlovable for forgiving my sins for washing away every stain I thank you for this gift come into my heart change my life turn me around in Jesus' name, amen. Could we give God praise this morning for everyone that received him today?